Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been covering the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and hosting this podcast for 81 episodes and counting. It is now October the 30th, 2023. The World Series will be over by Saturday at the latest, and soon after that, off-season roster movement can begin. We're not quite there yet, so today we will once again be looking back at a whole group of 2023 Orioles. It is time today to put the starting rotation under the microscope. For me, the starting rotation really was the biggest area that concerned me heading into this season. Things did not go perfectly for the Orioles with the group that they assembled for the season. The offseason trade for Cole Irvin was kind of a bust. John Means suffered the back injury that pushed his return from maybe after the All-Star break to September. Grayson Rodriguez was initially pretty freaking bad. And the midseason trade for Jack Flaherty was also pretty much a bust. And even with all of these things working as headwinds against the success of the Orioles rotation over a full season, the team, uh, starting pitchers, finished with the 11th best ERA in all of MLB with a 4.14 rotation ERA as a team. Only one year ago, the Orioles were 21st in Major League Baseball in starting rotation ERA. And two years ago, they were dead last with a 5.99 ERA from their starting rotation. So things have gotten better and hopefully will manage to get even better still in 2024. I will say over the course of the 2023 season, you know, one of the regular areas of discussion about the Orioles as they went along their way to a 101 win and 61 loss record is how lucky they were. And sometimes that manifested in looking at, as we talked about occasionally on this podcast, the Pythagorean win-loss expected record. Um, But I think in a bigger sense, the Orioles, one area they were lucky is just the rotation in this way. Nobody got seriously hurt. And you cannot count on that happening for any team's group of starting pitchers. Of the five Orioles starting pitchers who began the season in the starting rotation, so Kyle Gibson, Kyle Bradish, Tyler Wells, Dean Kramer, Cole Irvin, the only time spent on the injured list at the major league level among these players was Kyle Bradish, and that was when he got hit by the comebacker in his first start of the year, and he had a short injured list in and still came back to make 30 starts for the year, so he didn't miss that much time. The Orioles' rotation depth was not seriously tested. And I think that is an underrated factor in their good fortune in this season. They did not end up having any starts made by Bruce Zimmerman, Drew Rahm, 
Chris Valamont, Austin Voth. I think those are the guys who maybe would have constituted their rotation depth um, beyond Grayson Rodriguez before the season. And, you know, things did not go perfectly for the five guys they started on opening day with. Cole Irvin swiftly got demoted. Grayson Rodriguez got demoted. Tyler Wells was demoted. Jack Flaherty, when he arrived, of course, wasn't good. But again, I mean, overall, things went pretty well for the Orioles starting rotation in a way that I don't think we can just hand wave and take for granted it's going to happen next year. So I hope the Orioles have better depth next year. But okay, so let's go through the individual guys who started on the team. And I'm just going to go through them in order that they first appeared with the big league Orioles this year. So first up, Opening day starter, Kyle Gibson, the quote-unquote big signing by the Orioles last winter. Gibson got a one-year contract worth $10 million, basically filling the Jordan Lyles shoes from 2022 for slightly more money. As a quick sidebar, Lyles, you may recall, was uh, had a option year from the Orioles for 2023 that they declined, and there was some criticism of the Orioles for doing that before they ultimately signed Gibson And Lyles went on to have a 6.26 ERA with the Kansas City Royals in the 2023 season. So seems like it was a good idea to replace Jordan Lyles with Kyle Gibson. Uh, I was disappointed at the time the Gibson signing was made. I wanted the Orioles to aim higher. But, you know, sitting here now at the end of October, looking back on the season that has now been over for several weeks, Gibson, you know what? He was fine. Um, He did the job of eating innings. He made 33 starts for the year. Pitched 192 innings, which among American League starting pitchers, Gibson was sixth in innings pitched. So he he did what he was supposed to do. And that was important for the Orioles, given the occasional bullpen tiredness. And again, the unappealing starting pitching depth that they um, certainly looked like they had and didn't end up needing. Were they always good innings? No. Uh, Gibson's 4.73 ERA comes out to an 87 ERA plus in the park and league adjusted stats. So 13% below league average, um, by fielding independent pitching, maybe Gibson deserved a little better. He came in at a 4.13 there, which is just about league average in the park and league adjusted FIP, uh, minus where a hundred is still average. It's better to have lower numbers, whatever. We don't need to get into that. Um, Maybe Gibson did actually provide a positive example as veteran present or whatever. And if he did that, that's great. As far as looking at his season totals, you know, he is a demonstration of why I don't like using Fangraph's war for pitchers, wins above replacement, because although he had only a 0.9 B war, he was at 2.6 F war. And so to me, what actually happened matters. And I feel like calling a guy with his ERA, even as many innings as he ate, saying that's a 2.6 war pitcher. To, I'm sorry, that's a joke to me. So I, I don't like FWAR basically for reasons like that. Um, Gibson, for the future, he was a free agent after his one year. I can't imagine the Orioles are going to have interest in bringing him back. I don't have any interest in bringing him back. Again, I want to see the Orioles aim higher than Gibson for 2024. Game two of the year was started by Dean Kramer. Of course, Kramer was also the starting pitcher ultimately in the last game the Orioles played this year in the postseason. Kramer, in his first start, gave up five earned runs in three innings. And in that postseason game, he gave up six earned runs in one and two-thirds innings. So disastrous bookends for the year, but actually Kramer in the regular season came out 
with a 4.12 ERA. Again, that was exactly average 100 ERA plus. He made 32 starts, 172 and two thirds inning pitched, which averages out to almost exactly five and a third innings per game started. And there were only 44 pitchers among all 30 MLB teams who reached the qualified threshold to qualify for the ERA title and other such things, which is one inning pitched per team game. And Kramer was one of those guys. The Orioles had three of them. Gibson, Kramer, and Kyle Bradish all topped that 162-inning threshold. So, you know, having a guy who is uh, one of the top 44 in throwing innings and having an average ERA, it's hard to complain about that over the season-long total. Uh, he did struggle mostly in the first half. Kramer went on to a 3.25 ERA in 14 second-half starts. So carrying that over to 2024, I think it's going to be important for him. In the first half of the year, he gave up 20 home runs in 98 innings. And in the second half, only seven home runs allowed while pitching 74 and two-thirds innings. I think for Kramer, the most obvious area for improvement is facing left-handed batters. So that is to the weak side of his platoon. He had an 811 OPS allowed compared to a 664 OPS allowed by righty batters. For next year, Kramer, he's turning 28 years old in January, so he will be in his third of three pre-arbitration seasons, meaning he will once again be near MLB minimum, will have team control through the uh, 2026 season, excuse me, the 2027 season, if the Orioles so desire it. And I mean, you know, if he's healthy and decent, he could be a uh, middle to back end of the Orioles rotation starting pitcher for the entirety of what we hope is the next little era of good Orioles baseball. And whether he's able to do this, I think probably depends on how much he can carry forward that um, good second half into next year. Moving on to the game three starter, that was Cole Irvin. He gave up six earned runs in four innings pitched in his first start versus the Red Sox season. Did get a little bit better than that uh, overall, but not really for him in the rotation. And Irvin ultimately was demoted to AAA Norfolk when he had a 10.66 ERA after making three starts. None of those first three starts lasted at least uh, five innings pitched. And chewing up innings was supposed to be Irvin's thing. He had thrown 359 and a third innings between the last two seasons with the Oakland Athletics. Particularly concerning was he had a serious problem with walks over his early Orioles starts, issuing eight walks in his first 12 and two-thirds innings. He only issued 36 walks in the entirety of 30 starts with Oakland last year. So on one hand, him getting demoted to the minors was good because it meant that the Orioles were too smart to look at Irvin and think, okay, we traded for him. We have to keep having him make starts to get value from him. But it sucks because they traded for him and then he sucked early on and was not able to uh, achieve the really not ambitious goals that you could have had for him. Um, Irvin had previously been good in every month other than September. And the narrative that I talked about him in very early episode of this show was, okay, he kind of wears down late in the season. Well, that was not his problem this year. Okay. But by season's end, a mix of starts and bulk relief, he did get the ERA down to a 4.42, not great, slightly below average even, but he did end up with walk rates, home run rates, and ERA plus totals about in line with his career. Um, so Irvin, he turns 20 or turns 30 in January. 
He will be out of minor league options for the 2024 season, so he's got to be on the team or off the roster. I do think he could be a cromulent longman slash spot starter kind of guy, but if the 2024 Orioles need to lean on him a lot, especially for starts, I do think that probably means bad things have happened. Irvin is projected by MLB Trade Rumors to make $1.8 million next year in his first of what could be three arbitration years. It's not a huge expense to have for a long man who you feel like can be more or less decent, which ultimately Irvin was. And maybe if he was uh, limited to only that role, he would do better next year. I guess we'll see if the Orioles decide uh, they want to keep him around. I, I feel like they probably will unless he comes out and stinks next year again. But I, I don't know. They've already made more aggressive decisions with shuffling him away than I expected from him. So we'll see what they end up doing with Irvin. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so let's move on. And now we can talk about Kyle Bradish, who was the Game 4 Orioles starter. And in retrospect, we are so fortunate that the first start foot contusion he suffered was not any kind of serious injury because, honestly, wow. Bradish finished the season a 2.83 ERA, 3.27 FIP, so a little bit maybe lucky based on that, but not too much. 1.043 whip, amazing. And as has been discussed before, the sub-3 ERA by an Orioles starting pitcher had not been achieved since Mike Bucina did this more than 30 years ago. League-wide, Bradish had the 4th best ERA, 4th best whip, 7th best batting average allowed at a 213 average by opponents. So, I mean, it was not an out-of-nowhere breakout for Bradish if you noticed his second half of last season when he had a 3.28 ERA, 1.164 whip in the second half. I noticed, but I didn't believe it because I just don't think Orioles fans are allowed to have nice things with starting pitchers. But you know what? I'm a believer now. Bradish, he had a great season, and that was followed up again on the second half of last season. So he's now got really like 45, a 45-start stretch of good baseball under his wing. And we can certainly hope he will continue that for another 32 next year. The next year, it will be his age 27 season. He does not hit arbitration years until 2025. So again, here's another guy. He could be at the top of the Orioles rotation for the next four years if he is healthy and good for that long, which certainly we hope we'll, he will be able to follow up his 2023 with at least um, a pretty close to his good 2024. And he was worth 4.9 BWAR or 3.8 FWAR. I think absolutely deserves some down ballot support on AL Cy Young ballots. We'll see. He's not going to come close to winning, I don't think. Probably won't be the runner-up, but he should get some third to fifth place votes, I think. We'll see how that ends up going. I will be curious, uh, even if it has absolutely no tangible benefit for the Orioles. Bradish, you know what? He is already basically the best acquisition of the Mike Elias rebuilding trades and could end up being the best by leaps and bounds if he's able to continue what he did in 2023. An easy opening day starter for me for next year. When Bradish suffered that foot contusion in his first start, the called upon in emergency situation guy was Tyler Wells. And you know what? He had a really weird season. He did start off with a great effort a day earlier than he was expected to pitch when he jumped in for Bradish in that first Texas game. And you may recall that for a lot of the first half of the season, Wells was leading all major league pitchers in whip. That is walks and hits, walks plus hits, 
per inning pitched. And Wells, over that time, was really continually outperforming his FIP number, and he finished the season with a 3.64 ERA, 4.98 FIP. That is a serious gap, and that is why he's another guy who gives the BWAR and FWAR difference. 1.7 BWAR, which again is based more on the actual results that happen. 0.6 WAR, so less than one full win for FWAR, Fangraph's WAR. Um, Wells... You know, he did collapse pretty much as soon as the calendar hit July as he approached and then passed his previous high innings total as a professional pitcher. So it's like, well, was this him wearing out or just the league or his luck catching up to him? I don't know. I do know that the Orioles did not wait around to find out which of these things it was with Wells, demoting him to the minors in July after uh, several bad starts there, not letting him figure out whatever was going on uh, at the big league level. And then when they brought him back in September, that was as a one-inning reliever, or maybe a little bit more than one inning. And Wells, as it ended up, was the only pitcher for the Orioles to appear in every one of the ALDS games. He was uh, one of three to appear in multiple games of the series and maintain a zero ERA while appearing in multiple games. The other two of those guys, by the way, were D.L. Hall and Danny Colum. So... Good job in the playoffs, Tyler Wells. I wish more of the Orioles pitching staff had been able to uh, be like you. So, okay, FWAR, I did talk bad about it, but I will say one area where I don't hate it is it's worth it to look at that and think about what might happen next year. If a guy is maybe due for regression, which a guy who overachieved his FIP by uh, 1.34 points of ERA probably is, that should factor into the team's planning for next year, a team's planning, I think. And it may be that Wells' best use to the team is staying in the bullpen. Although he feels like a young guy since he only debuted in 2021, that was his age 26 season, and he's already 29 years old. So Wells, he's actually going to qualify for arbitration next year as a Super 2 player, which is players who only have two years and change of service time, but it's a lot of two years So they call that Super 2, which means he will get four years of arbitration if the team wants. It's going to be $2.3 million projected by MLB Trade Rumors for 2024. And, you know, there is no problem uh, for the Orioles to pay that for a guy who is at the back end of the bullpen, which Wells looked like he maybe would deserve that kind of role if the Orioles keep him there. Of course, the other guy who made a a debut sooner than expected um, after the Braddish injury was Grayson Rodriguez. I was driving the hype train for Grayson Rodriguez before the season. Of course, he was a top 10 prospect in all of Major League Baseball, had been riding elite results last year before his lat injury that he suffered in June. I really think he would have debuted maybe around the all-star break of last year, if not for that. Um, But Rodriguez this year, he really was not very good in spring training. So his initial demotion, although it was disappointing to me, it was not infuriating. And given how he looked in spring training, I was actually a little bit surprised the team brought him up to ultimately plug him in um, to fill the hole for the Braddis injury. And it didn't go well. He had a 7.35 ERA by the end of May, giving up lots of walks, a big home run problem. 9.56 opponent OPS allowed by Rodriguez in 10 starts by the end of May. That was absolutely disheartening. And again, that fits with my uh, Orioles fans not allowed to have nice things when it comes to starting pitching prospects philosophy that I mentioned about Bradish. Rodriguez got demoted. Eight Norfolk starts, 
he showed he had either fixed his problems or was just way better than AAA hitters or both. So they brought him back for the second half, and the those results point to it being fixed, at least until the playoffs, when he looked like first-half Grayson in Game 2 of the ALDS. But in the second half of the regular season, a 2.58 ERA, 1.096 whip over 13 starts, and crucially, he solved the home run problem only three home runs allowed in 76 and two-thirds second-half innings after giving up 13 in only 45 and a third first-half innings. So you know what? I am still driving the hype train for Grayson Rodriguez going into next year. He only turns 24 next month. The way that it worked out, uh, the Orioles are going to get to control him for six years beyond this year. Rodriguez, he took his lumps. He seems like he learned, and he's back on track. And you know what I thought was interesting about Rodriguez? There was a lot of discussion, including by me, before the season about how is the team going to manage his innings? Would he be on a hard limit for innings pitch? Because he had topped out as a pro with 103 innings pitched two years ago. But the team ultimately did not do a whole lot of finagling to limit Rodriguez in the way that people, including me, were concerned they might need to do. Um, Counting the postseason, Rodriguez finished with 165 innings pitched this year. Now, that is a big jump from 103. And if he gets hurt next year, everyone's probably going to point to that. But, you know, hopefully Rodriguez has just now set himself up for a big league starters workload over a full season and can keep on rolling from there. Maybe work himself into a 180-plus innings pitched guy for next year and be the top of the rotation workhorse we had all been dreaming of. I will be continuing to dream of that and... At least with the second half of Rodriguez, uh, there's at least a little bit of connection for from reality there. Of course, at the trade deadline, the Orioles acquired Jack Flaherty. They got him for starting pitcher Drew Rahm, uh, younger starting pitcher Zach Showalter, and infielder Cesar Prieto. And here's how those guys worked out after the trade this year. Uh, Rahm went on to make eight big league starts for the Cardinals, an 8.02 ERA, Cesar Prieto went down to a 701 OPS with the Cardinals AAA affiliate after the trade. And Zach Showalter only pitched one game for the St. Louis low A team. It was one inning of relief, and then he went on the injured list with an undisclosed injury, did not pitch again after August 8th. I don't know what's going on there. I mention all of this as a preface because at the moment, there's no reason to regret this trade. The risk of it, it wasn't that the Orioles would miss the prospects, but that they would get someone who then was not able to help them in the way that they needed. And really, Flaherty's only good start that he made as an Oriole was the first start that he made after being acquired. And I was in Hawaii, so I didn't even see that. So I basically have no good memory of Jack Flaherty pitching for the Orioles. And my only good memory of him is um, when he was pretending to interview Kevin Brown in the middle of the alcohol-soaked clubhouse celebration after the Orioles clinched the AL East. But like, so again, like Flaherty being acquired when I was in uh, Hawaii is ultimately what I'm going to remember the most about his tenure. When that news broke, I was at the southernmost point in the United States. I just finished having a uh, Hawaiian shaved ice. And that was my only good memory about Jack Flaherty was that shaved ice. Nothing about his pitching. He had a 6.75 ERA in nine games uh, with the Orioles. 4.84 fifths. So maybe... He deserved a little bit better. That would have been more palatable if that was his ERA. But still, a 4.84 ERA is not good. Um, It would have been better if the Orioles had traded for someone who was capable of starting 
ALDS Game 3. It's, it's not how it worked out. You know, on Camden Chat, we had readers who projected onto Flaherty the idea of him being some kind of malingerer. I, I didn't see that ever. I don't really know what that was about. Flaherty, he just wasn't good enough. Um, ultimately, that was not surprising because Flaherty had not been healthy and good in unison since the 2019 season. He's now about to be a free agent at age 28. If he had any kind of track record of quality or health, he'd probably get a big payday. But as it is, he's going to have to settle for a one-year prove-it deal. And I hope it's not the Orioles who are uh, counting on him being able to prove it. And that brings us to last, but certainly not least, John Means. He only made four starts for the Orioles because he was knocked off his throwing program by maybe six to eight weeks due to the Terrace Major, which is in the back strain that he suffered on his, during his rehab. Good results over those four games, a 2.66 ERA across 23 and two-thirds innings, and that included mounting up to almost single-handedly stave off what felt like it could have been a potential collapse in the road series in Cleveland in September after the Orioles had lost the first two games of the series. Cruelly uh, means he wasn't even able to pitch in the postseason, came down with a sore elbow. I do think that is one of the reasons why the Orioles were swept. So means for next year, he is projected by MLB trade rumors for a $5.93 million salary. It will be his final year before becoming a free agent. We all want him to come back and be 2021 means, but the Orioles, I do think, should prepare with a backup plan in case this doesn't happen, mostly because the biggest risk factor for future elbow injuries is past elbow injuries and means, again, he only made four big league starts and then couldn't pitch in the postseason due to having a sore elbow. So I hope that doesn't mean bad things for him. I hope that after resting it and, you know, working up um, over the offseason for building it up in spring training to start a regular season, I hope he'll be fine. But I mean, the Orioles, they cannot count on that. So I hope they are able to accumulate some better depth for next year. So, okay, that's eight guys who accounted for 161 starts between them. The 162nd start was Keegan Aiken making one start as an opener, and he sucked. So he finished the year on the 60-day injured list. I feel like he may not survive the offseason on the 40-man roster because, honestly, he just got passed by a number of guys, and there's no reason to keep him around anymore. Um, the first six of those eight guys I discussed accounted for 150 of the 162 starts made by the Orioles. Again, that is pretty darn good stability. As I mentioned at the top, I do think this was a low-key part of the good fortune of the 2023 Orioles that I don't think they can necessarily count on happening next year. That's probably going to be the biggest area of concern is just what if they have worse luck with the starting pitchers? So, Okay, who do, who comes along for the rotation next year? I would say line them up like Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, Dean Kramer, and Tyler Wells? Question mark. It's not bad on paper right now. I still want to see them add someone as either a free agent or trade with, you know, a better track record and reason to believe he can be good in 2024 than, say, Kyle Gibson or Cole Irvin. Um I, Elias's 2023 pitching traits, they don't fill me with confidence, but he hasn't tried to give up a good or great prospect to get a pitcher yet either. So perhaps following up on the 101 win season will make Elias a bit more aggressive than when he was trying to follow up on the 83 and 79 uh, record in 2022. So, okay, here is the starting pitching depth on the 40 man roster right now. That's Cole Irvin. 
Seth Johnson, Bruce Zimmerman. That's it. Okay, if you still believe D.L. Hall has a future as a starting pitcher, he's on there as well. Uh, There's a trio of not 40-man roster prospects who have reached AAA already, and none of these guys need to be added to the roster this offseason. So they're not automatically going to be options for next year. And that, that trio is Chase McDermott, Cade Povich, and Justin Armbruster. There could be a world where that internal group works out, but I hope Mike Elias does not play out this offseason, assuming that will be the case. So that's the Orioles' rotation. They went through a lot that was not very good and still came out with the 11th best ERA among all major league teams. Now, yes, a lot of that was helped by Kyle Bradish being amazing, but also it was helped by Grayson Rodriguez and Dean Kramer being a lot better in the second half than they were in the first half, by Kyle Gibson not being the kind of disaster level pitcher that we have seen in the Orioles rotations in the bad years. And, you know, if you minimize the amount of disaster you have, that is a, another underrated way to build team quality. And the Orioles, they successfully did that in the 2023 season. We'll see how much of that ends up carrying over into next year. If you have any thoughts or a question for a future episode of the show, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. This episode is already pretty long, so I'm not going to take another one off the pile. But if you sent one in over the course of October, I promise I will get to it soon. Maybe two episodes from now, because the bullpen episode will probably go long as well. Thank you to everybody who has written in so far. That's all that I've got for today. If you enjoy this podcast, please do subscribe on your favorite platform. For the rest of the off-season episodes, will be out weekly on Monday mornings as much as I can manage it. So I will see you again on November the 6th when we will finish up by talking about the 2023 Orioles bullpen. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. This is Mark Brown signing off.